Welcome to the Clear Admit MBA Admissions Podcast. I'm Graham Richmond, and this is your Wiretaps for Monday, May 29th, 2023. I'm joined by Alex Brown from Cornwall, England. Alex, how are things going? Very good. Thank you, Graham. So it's technically Memorial Day in the United States, and it's also a holiday here in France, but I don't know if it's a bank holiday um, in, in England or not. Are you guys off? It is our, it is our third bank holiday in May. <laughs> yeah, you got to love May in Europe. There's like so many holidays. Yeah. Uh, but how are things going otherwise? Like we've got, I know, you know, there's still some things happening like week to week with, with various <laughs> deadlines yeah. and, and things happening. What's going on? Yeah, we're, we're definitely in that switch from, from last season to this season. So we still have um, schools releasing decisions um, um, from this season. We've seen a lot of waitlist activity which is reasonably predictable, I think, this season, folks getting called off the wait list at, at, at these later stages. So those that are still on the wait list, um, there is still a little bit of time left um, for, um, to, to get that admission. I know it's very challenging for international students at this later stage. Um, but yeah, some round four um, decision releases were actually um, tappers releasing decisions about its defer, you know, for its deferred MBA admissions program, future leaders, mm-hmm. um, this up- upcoming week. And we're also seeing um, schools announcing their deadlines um, for, for next season um, and, and rolling out their, um, some of them anyway, are getting their essay topics out for next season. So yeah, we're, we're in that switch. Yeah. And I know from, you know, over the last month, we did those application overview events where, you know, we sat down with, I guess over the course of the month, we hosted 18 uh, business schools. And so I got a front row seat on, you know, them sort of talking about what they're doing with their application for the coming cycle. Most of them haven't publicly, you know, published like new essay topics and things yet. But we did hear, for example, from Columbia that they, you know, did a little bit of a change up on their essays. They actually brought back an essay that they used to ask. And, um, and yeah, we've just been hearing from schools that they're, they're still kind of figuring it all out, but you're right. We're starting to get into that season where they're going to announce deadlines, essay topics, et cetera. So yeah. it was a lot of fun to talk with all these schools over the last month and I'm going to miss it. Although we do have an event in June that's a Real Humans event where we're going to have both students and alumni from top MBA programs. That's on June 20th at 12 p.m. And we've set up a, a short link so you can sign up for that by going to bit.ly forward slash Real Humans MBA. So that'll be fun. And then in July, as you know, we have our Essay Insight series. And I don't have the list in front of me, but that's going to be a great list of top programs, many of the same ones that we met with in May, talking specifically about their essay questions and how to answer those essay questions. So that should be fun. Stay tuned for more news on that front. And just as we talk about essay questions, um, one thing that we do at Clear Admit is have um, a, a, an essay topic analysis for each of the top programs. So as these essays get um, released, we will then update um, our essay topic analysis for each of the schools. Um, and they're a great sort of starting point resource, I think, for those, you know, as, as you start sort of drafting you know, creating early drafts for, for some of these essays. Yeah, and you're reminding me now that I, I often think, you know, when you're starting to write essays, which I'm sure a lot of people tuned in or, you know, at least beginning to contemplate that whole process, you know, there's this temptation to go and read uh, essays that worked, you know, like you Google the inner, you know, <laughs> Google for, you know, essays that people have submitted to read them and see like, oh, this is what a winning essay looks like. I tend to advise people not to do that. Um, I think it's a much better 
sort of track to just read the essay question, come to our site, read our essay topic analysis, which will give you a lot of food for thought on how to get started. Because I, I just worry that when you read essays that, quote, worked for other candidates, A, those candidates aren't you, but B, you fall into these traps of like trying to replicate something. And I'm not saying you plagiarize, but you just, it sort of stifles creativity. So I, I yeah. you know, think that using our essay topic analyses is probably a better way to go. And, and we'll have a, a deep discussion at some point about then also using chat GPT yeah. or its equivalent, but yeah. maybe not for today. Okay. <laughs> All right. <laughs> um, all right. So in other news on the website, we ran a piece about uh, a new course that they're offering at Kellogg. And, you know, we know that Kellogg's kind of at the forefront of marketing. We also think of the school as being very good in the healthcare domain as well, uh, along with, you know, the likes of Wharton and Duke and stuff. So they have, unsurprisingly, I guess, released a new class that is called Biomedical Marketing. Um, and it's a course that, you know, teaches those those candidates who want to head off into the healthcare sector and deal with marketing. It's a very complex sector with lots of different, you know, regulations and rules that make it different from other industries. So that's kind of an interesting development there. We did a whole piece and I think it's a course being taught by the chair or co-chair of the marketing department at Kellogg. So sounds like it's got great faculty behind it. Should be interesting to see how that rolls out. Nice. We'll have to see if Wharton's offering something similar. I know. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, (laughs) (laughs) And then the other little bit of news is that Chicago Booth um, has long supported an organization in Chicago that's called Chicago Scholars, um, just as as a kind of donor. And Chicago Scholars helps kind of at-risk and, you know, first-gen disadvantaged youth uh, to kind of find their way to university and and even on to grad school or certain careers. It's actually a seven-year program that starts in the junior year of high school for these um, kids who are disadvantaged. And what Chicago Booth is doing now, beyond just putting some financial support into that organization, which they always have, is they've actually created like a special pathway to help educate these high schoolers and, and, you know, young kind of college students about the pathway into business school specifically. So they've partnered, they're working hard to sort of create those pathways and, you know, just educate young, young people about the MBA as a potential path. So we did a little story about that on the website as well. And then Alex, as you know, I mean, we're still in this Real Humans uh, alumni series that we're running. Uh, so we have, I'm not going to do <laughs> heavy quotes or, or read through them all, uh, because I know that I tend to go on and on and on about this, but we had four candidates that we sat down with and interviewed. And so this week, um, if you head over to the website, you can read about Sebastian, who did the NYU Stern Tech MBA. MBA, which is a one-year MBA specialized in tech, and he's now a Google senior customer engineer. He hails from Park City, Utah, and I guess he graduated in 19. So he's a you know few years out, and it looks like he's doing quite well at Google. So that was just interesting to see because we don't um, see as many people. It's a newer program, the one-year tech MBA. So kind of interesting to see how someone's turned out who did that program. We also connected with Kathy, who is a Booth grad from 2020. She's at Accenture working as a strategy manager, and she originally hails from Potom- uh, Potomac, Maryland. And then we also sat down with Pamela, who's a London Business School grad, class of 22, so more of a recent grad. And she's at BCG as a consultant. She uh, calls Buenos Aires her hometown, so Argentina, but then she also was born in El Salvador. So kind of an interesting background there. And last but not least, and this one I've got a side question for you on, Alex, we have Rochelle, who is a uh, Duke Fuqua grad 
from 2018. And she also is at Google working as a product manager. And she gave us two hometowns. She's from Brooklyn and Columbia, South Carolina. But you were telling me before we came on air that you have a tidbit about the origin of Duke University or maybe its name. So do you want to unveil that? Because I, I, I'm, I'm like at the, on the edge of my seat ever since you told me. You didn't tell me, you didn't give me the answer. So <laughs> Yeah, usually when we talk about this program, we talk about how to pronounce Fuqua. Yes. <laughs> but I got another little nugget. Um, I'm reading a book called Tobacco. Okay. And in that book, and I won't go into detail, they talk about how Duke got its name. So, so, so the clue is in the title of the book. Yeah. Okay. So is it, yeah. it's related to, what's the name of the guy who invented tobacco or uh, Rally? Is that his name? I can't remember. No, no. Um, but Duke ran a huge sort of tobacco business okay. um, in the United States, obviously centuries ago at this point. Right, right. Um, and huh. yeah, his legacy is Duke University. Wow. Interesting. Okay. I never knew that. That's fascinating. Yeah. Well, um, at least according to this book. Yeah. <laughs> it's a really good book. If anyone's interested in the history of tobacco by Ian Gately. Okay. Gatley, Gately. Yeah. Okay. Don't ask me why I'm reading it. <laughs> yeah. I, well, yeah, I don't know if you would be a smoker or anything. So, you know, but it's, it yeah. is interesting. And I know it was a major driver in the U.S. economy early on, right? Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. It's how, how, how the, um, the early settlers managed to um, actually create a sustainable sort of living, right? The yeah. first few sort of settlements sort of dissipated and just didn't work because there was no. Right. No way for them to sort of survive. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. So, uh, so in any event, you know, yeah, we continue to profile these grads of all these programs, including Duke's Fuqua School of Business. Yes. Uh, and yeah, so stay tuned on the site. There's there's more of those to come. And the other thing I wanted to mention is, you know, obviously, if you have anything you want to write to Alex and I about, you can just email us at info at clearedmint.com. Use the subject line, wiretaps, and we'll get back to you. Uh, we do, you know, love to hear from you. We also like to see your reviews and ratings on whatever platform you're listening to this show. So please remember to rate and review when you get a chance. Other than that, I don't have anything uh, to go over, Alex, beyond the candidates that you've picked out for this week. Let's kick off. All right. So this is wiretaps candidate number one. So our first candidate this week, Alex, comes from an apply wire entry that you've selected. And this person has just four schools on the target list. They are Berkeley, uh, ESE in Spain, uh, Northwestern Kellogg, and then Stanford GSB. They want to start school in the fall of 24. And they've been working in product management before business school. And they have goals in either tech or entrepreneurship, or maybe both in parallel uh, post MBA. They did not give us a GPA, and we'll get into that in a moment. They have three years of work experience. They're currently located in the UK, um, but in the notes, um, this candidate mentions that she is an African female candidate, I believe originally from Nigeria, but I presume maybe has double um, citizenship because she mentions she has UK citizenship too. Um, she uh, pursued a law degree uh, uh, with undergrad. Um, I guess she's, she's a qualified lawyer, so I'm not really sure where she did it, but she says that her undergrad degree was from a Russell Group school 
in the UK. And just for those of you who don't know, and Alex, I'm sure you do, but for Americans or non-UK folks listening, the Russell Group is sort of like the Ivy League in America. It's sort of the best of the best um, universities, research institutions in the United Kingdom. So she attended one of those schools, did a brief stint in a law practice, and now is working in product at a global financial services company. She also founded a women's focused community organization. And again, she'll have like three and a half years of work experience, she says, by the time she starts business school. And she's not really sure either, you know, this kind of pursuing entrepreneurial aspirations or continuing to progress in product management in tech after business school. So she doesn't have a GRE or a GMAT yet, but she is going to be taking it. And she's aiming, she says, for a 330. So what do you make of this candidate, Alex? Yeah, I mean, if she gets a 330 on the GRE, um, assume she's got a good degree from the Russell Group, so first or, or whatever, um, qualified lawyer. Um, and, um, you know, assuming this work experience is good and she's, you know, showing growth and impact and so on and so forth, you know, her personal profile, female, African, working in the UK, um, I'd say all looks very positive. She's also really engaged in the community in terms of she's, she's sort of a founder of a, a lifestyle community focused on African women in their 20s. Um, assuming that in of itself is impactful and meaningful um, and not just a couple of people chatting once in a while, um, that sort of helps sort of focus on some of her entrepreneurial ambition. Um, and I'd say potentially, Graham, there's a lot to like. Assuming she does hit that 330 and assuming she has a strong undergraduate record, strong work experience and so on and so forth. Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, that was the one wild card for me as I wondered if she had a first class honors or second class honors, which either of which would be perfectly fine. If it's something below that, I might start to wonder a bit more. Uh, but, you know, again, the GRE will help to sort of benchmark all that. So, again, she's got to take the test. She said she took it cold and got over, you right. know, over 300 or something. So she's, you know, she's got to practice and, and work her way up to that 330. The one question I had for you about this candidate. So, you know, she says that she wants to go back to the UK or Africa, um, and we know she might do something either entrepreneurial or just continue in her kind of tech product management type um, focus. So I guess the question I had is, you know, when you look at her school list, she's got Berkeley and Stanford. So obviously schools on the West Coast, uh, presumably if she wants to get into product management and, and that sort of thing, maybe that makes a lot of sense. She's got Kellogg, which is also a noted school for tech placements. And she has ESA. And I, and I should add that all these schools are quite good in entrepreneurship too. But I think one of the things that jumped out at me is, you know, she wants to land in the UK or, or maybe back in Nigeria. And so the only European school she has on the list is in Spain. Mm. Um, and she has no East Coast US programs on her list. And so I just sort of wondered if you had any thoughts about school selection. Um, I, I mean, I presume there's a reason that she's chosen the schools that she has selected, but I'm just, you know, kind of thinking about, is this the right portfolio of schools for her to be targeting? Yeah, and you, no, you do raise a good point and something I missed actually. Um, London Business School, for example, would be something that she should be looking at Presumingly, she's based in London. Um, yeah, it'd be easy enough. So, yeah. so it'd be easy enough um, and, and sort of help um, with her sort of um, longer-term goals, i.e. returning to the UK or going to Nigeria. Um, I'm wondering if part of 
her rationale for not including um, UK-based schools is she wants that US experience, but then why is ISA yeah. um, on, on the list? And, and you're right, the East Coast schools would make sense too. Um, so whether it's Wharton or, and, well, there's a lot of the M7s are on the East Coast. So, yeah, um, yeah. so she should mix that up. The other thing to, to now that I've recovered from my um, coughing thing, I can actually <laughs> talk a little bit more about <laughs> um, the, um, this candidate. The other thing is, um, is she overrepresented, right? So she's from Nigeria, and we would argue that actually Nigeria is a little bit more overrepresented than perhaps um, many would presume yes um but she's got that dual citizenship um so should she sort of position herself as a uk citizen sort of over and above because they that would be more underrepresented but to me i i I don't think that's worth sort of um focusing on because if her sort of experience i.e with certainly with this community experience that she has um, creating a, an online community for African females. And if her longer-term goals are potentially focused on um, Africa, um, I, I, I wouldn't hide, behind, hide away from you know, focusing on the fact that she's from Nigeria. Yeah, I would celebrate all of it. Like, I think, you know, yeah. the fact that she went to university in the UK and has that citizenship yeah. will play really well. Um, with the committee. Yeah. So, yeah, I think there's, there's, as you would say, there's a lot to like here. I think, mm. you know, she should probably think carefully about school selection. Like I was suggesting before, I, I could not agree more that, you know, throwing in an M7 or two from the East coast to the U S where there might be, you know, more likelihood to jump back to Europe. Um, you know, that, that makes sense. I totally get that she may not be looking in the UK because she probably wants to have another experience. Like you're saying, whether it's a U.S. experience or, you know, going to Spain. I mean, you know, some people look at the NBA as a chance to just go somewhere different too. Um, so I get that. But again, I think this could be a superstar candidate. I, I do think we need to know the GPA and, and the, the GRE outcome, obviously. But but yeah, there's sky's the limit at this point, given the ingredients that she's kind of bringing to the table. Yeah, yeah. No, absolutely agree. All right. So um, I want to thank her for posting. Hopefully she'll continue to share notes from her journey. want to wish her the best of luck. She's taking the test in July, um, the GRE, and she's prepping uh, like crazy now to, to get ready for that. So good luck with that. The only last thing I wanted to mention about her, she, she said, oh, I'm not taking the test till July. Should I wait for round two? And my view is, you know, if you take the test in July and it goes well, Apply in round one. Like, there's no reason to wait, I don't think. Um, right. But I don't know if you feel the same. I mean, it depends if she's got time and the bandwidth to be preparing her apps concurrently with prepping for the GRE. Um, obviously, you know, I don't think there's any um, urgency to get in incomplete apps just to get into round one. Right. Um, with this profile. Um, but... Um, if she's able to start developing her apps concurrently with with prepping for the GMAT, gets at three thirty and has another month or whatever to to tighten things up, I think round one um, would it'll be advantageous in as much as she get the decision sooner. Yeah potentially get considered for scholarship a little bit more and so on and so forth. Yeah. And I think as an international, it never hurts to have that early start yeah. with respect to a relocation and, and yeah. visas and yeah. stuff. So, all right. Well, thanks to her for that post. Let's move on though and talk about Wiretap's candidate number two. 
So our second candidate this week also comes from an apply wire entry that was posted to the site. This person similarly wants to start school in the fall of 24. They've got five schools on their target list, at least initially. Uh, and those schools are Tuck, Harvard, Kellogg, Stanford, and Wharton. They do mention in some of the notes that they exchanged with us that they have another list of schools, which includes Berkeley, UCLA, Yale, and Foster, that they're thinking about targeting in like the second round. Uh, this candidate works uh, is, is part of the military in the U.S. Uh, they actually graduated in 2016 from one of the service academies as an aviation officer, and they are a Black Hawk pilot. Uh, they want to get into consulting after business school, and for now, they have Bain, BCG, and McKinsey as potential targets. GMAT score is a 720. GPA is a 3.5, although they did mention that that landed them in the top close to top 10% of their graduating class because there's no grade inflation in the service academies. Uh, they've been working for seven years. Looks like they spent some time in Iraq. Um, you know, they've been deployed. They also, you know, are an avid skier, mountain biker, outdoors enthusiast. And, um, you know, they're originally from, it looks like they're, they'd like to at least land in, I'm not sure if they're from there, but I think they live there now in the Pacific Northwest. So they would love to like, for example, end up in Seattle. So that's kind of the basics on this candidate. What do you make of it? Well, I, their, their username suggests they're a bum. <laughs> I don't really get no, that. No, army <laughs> ski bum. Yeah, they're an army oh. ski bum. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah. If, if you look at their, their um, sort of profile in the military, um, they graduated as an aviation officer and became a Black Hawk pilot. Well, that just sounds fantastic in of itself. <laughs> right served a variety of leadership positions in a combat aviation brigade mm -hmm. as a Black Hawk pilot, and also did a deployment for a year in Iraq. So, yeah. um, so it just sounds like the, the experience is gonna be off the charts, um, I would imagine. Um, so as, as potentially an elite military candidate. Um, their professional goal is to pivot into consulting, which is the standard route for uh, military. Do the, you know, the, do the MBA, then do a consulting gig, which makes perfect sense because they're applying what they've learned from, from the MBA program, and then move into a leadership role. So, so um, that pathway is well trodden for, for, for this type of candidate, so I really like that. Um, they clarified their GPA, which um, is, is um, great. Um, and um, yeah, again, as a military candidate, they, they also out very outdoorsy, they you know do all that stuff. So we see that quite a lot with military candidates. So I think this is, this is legitimately high profile um, and yeah, good execution on the applications, Graham, and they should be having um, some, some good choices out of that round one. I know your recommendation is also to push Haas up to round one, mm -hmm. um, which I think is a very valid point. Um, but um, yeah, I, I, I'd like to meet this dude. <laughs> yeah, yeah, if this guy, yeah, and, and uh, the skiing part definitely interests me. There's a lot of great yeah. skiing uh, here in Europe, so <laughs> I enjoy that. But I guess one of the things I was thinking about is, you know, they have a 3.54, which we, you know, would normally ordinarily say at the top schools on their list is just a tick below average. But I think that's canceled out by the fact that they went to a service academy and were ranked really highly <laughs> in their class. So I think that checks out. They did point out that their GMAT score is also a little bit 
below average for the very top schools. You know, they landed at 720. That was their second attempt, and I don't think they're going to take it again. They just feel like they're kind of maxed out. So I'm not so worried, though, because like you say, I think that the professional profile and outside interests and activities play really well. So I think this person's competitive. The only thing that I was kind of wondering about, you and I talked about it before we came on air, was just this idea that they want to land in the Pacific Northwest. And so, you know, in the first round, they've got Dartmouth, Harvard, Kellogg, Wharton, and Stanford. And so you look at those schools and you say, okay, you know, could they land in the, on the West Coast from those? Well, Stanford, obviously they could. Um, and, and really the other schools, certainly it's, it's an opportunity. I just wondered whether it made sense to also throw Berkeley into their first round because, you know, Berkeley has a very low acceptance rate. Yeah. And I just think getting in early there might be smart yeah. uh, to give them some West Coast options. You know, again, I do know that, you know, you can go to Harvard and work in Seattle. That happens all the time, right? So it's not, this isn't make or break, but I just thought, wow, you know. <laughs> and, and I can correct you on that one, Graham. Harvard sends more people to that region than probably any other program that's... Right, because of the size. Even some programs that are in that region, right? Just simply for the fact that their class size is huge and global. Right. So yeah, yeah, Harvard sends a ton of people to the West Coast because they have a large class. Um, But I think, you know, and obviously Wharton has the West Coast um, campus, so you can do a semester out there if you're focused on that region. So I'll I'll ask you a question though, Graham. Let's say it's a bandwidth issue, right? They can only apply to five schools in round one, which is completely, um, you know, that's a good good number, I think. I mean, that's a Mm -hmm. lot of work. So which one should they drop? Yeah, that's a good question. um, Because on the one hand, this is really interesting because on the one hand, some of these schools are really good at placing people into consulting. Like I think mm. Tuck and Tuck and Yale, for example, had the highest percentage of graduates going into consulting last year, although that may change this year as the consulting firms have kind of yeah. slowed things down. And, you know, Kellogg historically has been really good too. So, you know, then you start to say, well, wait, what about Harvard or Stanford? Would you really want to, or Wharton, would you really want to drop one of those from your <laughs> from your list? It's a, it's a tough call. I mean, it really is. I think I would just want to... It'd be better to be able to talk to this person and understand, like, what is it that's drawing them to some of these programs? Um, but yeah, it's, it's tricky. And, and, you know, I think you could argue that, well, is Haas is great because of the location, but is it as good as Kellogg for placing people at, at MBB? Then it's, you know, you get into a debate there, right? So it's tricky. It is, a, yeah. it's I, ideally they would have bandwidth for six, <laughs> yeah. um, but we'll see. Yeah. But and, I, I, yeah. If I had to answer the question, I'd go with Tuck. Yeah, that was my first inclination. I just I was thinking that if Tuck's on the list, it maybe is because this person's like an outdoors enthusiast and they yeah. love the idea of this small, close-knit community in the woods where they can go off and ski and hike. And yeah, I, I get it though. It's yeah. it's a really tough call. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Very good, very good. So I want to thank that person for their post and also for their service. As you say, flying Blackhawk helicopters sounds pretty cool. Um, yeah. <laughs> so they'll, yeah, yeah. So in any event, um, we'll see how that how it works out. But I, I think they're right to not retake the test. I think they go in with the numbers they have at this point and just yeah. work on execution. All right. So we'll stay tuned to see how that all turns out. Um, in the meantime, let's move on and talk about Wiretaps candidate number three. So our third candidate is really interesting. They're, they're also looking to start in the fall of 24, but they only have two schools on their target list. And those schools are Kellogg and Chicago Booth. Uh, they also have an, this person has an interesting like personal background in terms of their um, profession and stuff. They're a lawyer in the public sector. Uh, this is an international candidate. They don't specify um, exactly where, um, but they just say international. And they want to get into consulting or maybe 
um, social impact nonprofit work. So they listed all the um, main consulting firms. They've got Bain, BCG, Deloitte, McKinsey, PwC, all on the list here. Uh, they have a 3.9 GPA. They also have a master's degree in public policy with a very high GPA as well. So academically, things are looking pretty sharp. They did take the GRE and scored a 315, but they are planning a retake. They've got five years of work experience and they want to land in the U.S. after business school. And the reason that they're only focused on Chicago is because their spouse is starting a Ph.D. Uh, program in Chicago. So they're kind of, that's that's their geography. They got to look in that market. Uh, they, I think those are the main data points. I mean, th there's some discussion about their performance in the verbal section on the GRE, and they're worried that they're having trouble boosting that. So it's going to all come from the quant if they boost their score. And they, you know, we're talking about, you know, whether or not they should take business fundamentals or something to demonstrate aptitude. So I'll leave it there because you had some dialogue with this person on the website. And yeah, what, what's your take here? Yeah, I mean, I, I think, that, again, there's, there's quite a lot to like here. I mean, obviously, their academic record looks really strong. Um, and they, as they um, proclaim, they have very strong leadership experience in the military, again, in a non-combat role this time, um, and in volunteer work. So if we take them for, for what they're describing, um, the, the, the work side of their profile is also um, look, looks to be very um, strong. They seem to have a couple of different degrees. Um, so they've got a master in public policy as well. Um, so, so one of the things that they're going to want to potentially overcome is the stigma is in terms of they, are they just collecting degrees right. from a convenience standpoint. So just to, um, just to interrupt for, for one second. So they, so as you point out, they have this like non-combat military experience. So yeah. I guess that's, there must be, I wonder, they talk about being a lawyer in the public sector. So maybe they're like a military lawyer or something. I don't, yeah. I don't know what it yeah. is, but okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Right. No, for sure. Um, so... I think to help mitigate for that, the, the issue that I was talking about, just collecting degrees and stuff, they really want to show um, what their goals are going uh, with the MBA. Um, so, yeah, it's fine to say I want to do a bit of consulting or whatever, but if they have a really strong North Star in terms of where this is going to lead them, um, I think it helps overcome the idea that, oh, you're just wanting to get an MBA because your partner's... Um, doing a PhD or whatever, and and you, you, you know you're just using that to occupy right. your time or whatever it is, right? So they want to make sure that Adcom doesn't have that um, point of view, and one way to overcome that is having a really strong focus on what they're planning to do um, in the long run, um, and, and and so forth. So so hopefully they they can do that, and and they will do that. Um, the other thing is they have a bit of an issue on the verbal side of the GRE. So they got a 315, they're going to retake it. They think they can get up to a 319. I'm not sure why they, they use that number. Obviously, 320 plus is, is kind of more of an ideal target. Um, most often we see candidates struggle on the quant side of these tests, less so on the verbal side, um, and which is their struggle, the verbal side. Um, they are an international student. It would be really interesting to know from where they come because, um, you know, if they're from an overrepresented market like India, that would present challenges. If they're from a more underrepresented geography like most regions of the world, that would potentially elevate their overall profile. So right. that's going to be 
a, a, a factor that we need to, to understand. And how they overcome that verbal um, potentially, let's say they do come back with a GRE in the early 320s, but the verbal's still a little bit light. You know, if they if they've if they've got a TOEFL score that's that's decent, that will help. If they write strong essays, that will help. Um, but obviously, with all the tools available now to help write strong essays, they don't necessarily <laughs> need to be a reflection of their communication skills, I suppose. In the case of Kellogg, they they have the opportunity to interview. They basically invite everyone to interview that they can. Um, so the interview will become really important for a candidate like this, I think. Yeah, I agree. So you, you hit on a number of really important points, the degree collecting, which geography they're from, and you know all, all these possible issues as well as the test. And you know I think it's, it's interesting because this person points out as well that there are like all these ways to demonstrate quantitative aptitude, you know, like you can take business fundamentals, MBA math, HBS score, you can take these classes or, you know, point to your um, undergraduate transcripts. But when it comes to demonstrating verbal kind of aptitude, there's really just the, you know, the TOEFL. Um, or whatever English language test you know you, one might need to take. Now, one thing that's interesting, and I maybe gives us a clue as to where this person is from, is you ask them if they need to take the TOEFL, and they said that they do. So I'm guessing that that means maybe they're not from an overrepresented market like India um, or, or Nigeria, where a lot of the education's you know going to be in English. So I, I guess you know they could be from a less represented market. It's hard to know, right? Um, so. You know, I'm trying to think what it would be. And the other thing is, you know, female military, I wonder if it's like Israel, you know, or is this like, I don't know, South Korea or somewhere. In all cases, those markets would be far less represented and, and this person might be really yeah, sought after. Yeah. So it's just an yeah. interesting thing for, you know, to, to, to have as context. But I feel like if they can get the score up a bit, like you say, towards that 320 mark, that ideally their their grades from the policy degree and undergrad take over and suggest you know uh, that, that that they'll do fine, especially if the TOEFL scores in line with wh whatever the school's requirements are. So yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, this is an interesting. I mean, I I guess that yeah. The the one thing I do struggle with is how do you make it. Um, how do you pitch to the admissions committee like, oh, well, I'm moving to Chicago because my spouse is doing the PhD and I decided to do an MBA? Like, I, I, yeah, there has to be a really strong kind of career goal. Yeah, I mean, to, to me, the only way to overcome that is to have a really strong goal. Yeah, agreed. So not just consulting, because consulting is default goal for everyone in the short term, right? Mm -hmm. Because, I mean, unlike banking, for consulting, they seek out people from myriad backgrounds right yeah. so um that's a that's a an easy crutch but that, to me that's not going to cut it they've got to have a proper long-term goal that they are really sort of striving toward and can make that very strong case and that will be really helpful yeah agreed yeah. last question for you about this candidate do you tell the admissions committee that the spouse is doing a PhD and that you only have eyes for, you know, this program because you're in Chicago or, or you know, or like, do, do you tell them or do you not because you worry that they might think you're just collecting degrees and looking for something to do while your spouse is studying? No, I, I have a strong goal and I tell them yeah. that, you know, my partner is doing that PhD at Chicago. Yeah. Especially for the booth program. Well, if it's, yeah, I guess we don't know which... um 
which uh oh no they does say it yeah use chicago. chicago yeah so for booth yeah, i think yeah. you absolutely just say look my spouse is doing phd here um I, i'm not looking anywhere else kind of thing you know yeah, yeah. um yeah. yeah with with kellogg you might not want to say <laughs> that it's you chicago um but, yeah but still i would be very transparent and honest and upfront yeah. but have a very strong plan purpose yeah. Plan. Agreed. Yeah. All right. So yeah. thanks for picking these out. I mean, I think we touched on a lot of really interesting um, issues today about, you know, class rank and how it can play a role and when to stop taking the test, to, you know, to, to boost that score if you have other attributes and, and this issue of where your spouse is going. I mean, there are all these different yeah. factors that came into play. So appreciate you picking out these. <laughs> yeah. And I gave a book recommendation. That's right. Yeah, which you are. Yeah, that's that's true. Yeah. <laughs> um, all right. So we'll uh, be back in one week's time. Uh, Alex, thanks for doing this, and we'll see you next week. I guess. <laughs> Very good. Take care, everyone. Stay safe.